0: Okay, it's Thanksgiving week. It's the month. I'm Yogi Roth. This is Ted Yogis Pac 12 Adventure, the place where you can get all Pac 12 football insight, expertise, analysis, hopefully some humor. And definitely by the end of the show, we're going to be talking about what we're extremely thankful for. With that, Ted, you know me, man. I am thankful for you, brother. And we had a couple games we could talk about. How are you doing this week heading into Thanksgiving?
1: Uh, Yogi, same thing. Thankful. We should let uh, everybody know up front, we're doing this on Monday because of the holiday week. Everything's condensed. Uh, basketball, we think, is going to start. We're not sure how many teams are going to play, but that's part of our in our field of vision for Wednesday. But anyway, uh, we're not able to have a guest. Uh, but we do have a new gig, Yogi.
0: We do. We're back, baby. We are back.
1: <laughs> at, least as yeah, at least as we're talking right now, we're back.
0: Yeah, yeah. We think. It's Monday. As we all know, things can shift. But as of now, we'll be calling a game in Pac-12 football this calendar year. It will be Arizona State and Utah. We presume it'll be Sunday. As of now, game time is TBD. Uh, we will be calling it from the studio in San Francisco at uh, the Pac-12 Network's headquarters. Uh, so I, I don't know. I'm excited for that, Ted. I was, I was bummed that I didn't think we were going to get a game all year. I thought that we were going to have a chance when all these changes were happening, uh, but never really wanted to go there because I didn't want to get heartbroken. And then we got a call today that uh, we may have one this weekend. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, look, it, it's, I'm just praying in, in, in the very smart way, praying that the game gets to be played. We've already lost one game this weekend with Washington, Washington State, um, You know, the game, each lost game is obviously a lost playing opportunity, a lost coaching opportunity. Those are terrific. And let's be real. It's a huge amount of money. And that's the responsibility that we talked about this earlier. You know, David Shaw, you mentioned, put that really firmly on his Stanford team um, about coming back to play under the COVID umbrella of being responsible. And, and interestingly enough right now, the California schools have been pretty good <laughs> uh, so far. You know, Stanford was hit by a false positive for its first game, otherwise they've been good. Uh, it's just a lot of money. It's a lot of money at a time when the athletic departments of these universities need that money. So playing every game's important. They, the last point, the, just the, the 15 second introspective is I've done a lot of sports in my life from studios off to Olympic sports, uh, major tennis events, all kinds of championship sports. I've never called a football game from a studio. So we're gonna be rookies <laughs> together, big boy.
0: Yeah, me too. I wonder, like, are we allowed to wear shorts or do we have to like be fully suited on this one? What do you think?
1: <laughs> it's, it, first of all, I'm, we have to find, well, it's Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend. So I actually, I have, uh, because I live in the Bay Area, I have a really good bagel place nearby here. So I'll bring the bagels up with some schmear. Okay.
0: Done. I'll take care of that. For that. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. And I think it'll be fun and, and we'll definitely touch upon it next week of what that broadcast experience is like. Cause I've never done that either. Um, never called a game from the studio, never even auditioned a game from the studio. So I'm curious what it'll be like. And you know, I've seen behind the scenes on other broadcasters' Instagram pages, like, what's it like? Like, they look at it, they have an all-22 monitor, but we have that as well. You know, what, what is the setup? And then the cadence for us. So going into it, we haven't even talked about it really in depth, but, you know, we'll call the game, but I wonder if there'll also be a lot, uh, you know, a lot more dialogue, almost like a spring game at times in this, just because there's there's so much more to talk about that is uh, exhibited within these games, like the players that are playing. we got to introduce a lot of new players potentially for Arizona State that you, know, you didn't have to. You know, who knows if the three-year starters are going to play that we've been, been accustomed to saying their names.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I actually did. I, I auditioned, gosh, a long, long time ago with Todd Blackledge. We did, we did an audition game at a studio in Connecticut, you can imagine why, a long time ago. But it was a game that had been played six months earlier. <laughs> and so we had everything in front of us. Now, I mean, it was an era when there, there was no internet, there was no, uh, you know, stat monitors, things like that. But they, we had the notes from the game and the, the, uh, the flip card and the depth charts and the stats. So that made it a little bit easier, and especially identifying people because on, you know, off a TV screen sometimes, and thank goodness, we, we have two teams who should have pretty clear numbers because that's the other, you know, get into some of the crazy Oregon uniform patterns Uh, identifying numbers is brutal, but that shouldn't be a problem. Uh, The thing I've heard because the NFL uh, radio teams are doing this this year, the NFL radio teams are not traveling. So the visiting team is calling from their home city studio and they've all been given an all 22. The NFL was very smart and they made that standard Uh, for someone like you. That would be massively important. All right, we're going to put the call in in about forty-five minutes, I think. <laughs> <laughs> all right, twenty-two, big boy. That's the <laughs> Yogi only one. We can. Want. Totally, totally. Uh,
0: all right, so let's get to some games. Um, we've got uh, it's rivalry week in the Pac-12 North, which is really interesting to me. I don't know about you, Ted, but we called the big game the last couple seasons, and it has been a blast. Uh, there's so much nostalgia around that game, even the way the last couple of years have finished, the strategy within both of those games. Uh, that is going to be the game that kicks off Pac-12 football on Friday.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: For you, what have your thoughts been on these two teams? Of course, Stanford not playing last week, their game being canceled. Cal, a uh, tough loss at Oregon State. What, what are your thoughts on the programs, and what do you expect in the game?
1: Well, it's, uh, I mean, there's so much history, and I've been a part of it for a long time, uh, working on the Stanford side in football. Um, so this will be 123 years. It's, it's the one day, as I hammered home with you last year when we called the game at Stanford Stadium, it's the one day every year when the Bay Area pays attention to college football. We're basically a pro market, and we don't have a USC football powerhouse here. Um, we have a ton of Cal people, a ton of Cal alums. They get excited when Cal's good. But this day is special. So it's going to be strange for it to be Friday. It'll be very strange for it to be in an empty stadium. Uh, it's going to be Cal's first home game, which is nice. Uh, We did a pretty deep dive last week on the pod with Todd Husak about Stanford yoke. So I'm more focused on Cal and I watched Saturday and I was just so frustrated because it was another one of those moments to me where the better team didn't win. Cal was the better team for pretty much most of that game, but they just made enough slips, Um, you know, obviously a massively mistake on a blocked punt red zone trouble, you know, those small things that cost them a chance to win a game on the road.
0: Yeah. I look at this game and coming into it, I talked to coach Wilcox and then you found out as the game got going, right. Three offensive linemen out, Christopher Brown was out. um, And then Michael Safel, guy who we love. um, He went out during the game and that wasn't the area where you were like, that's why they lost the game. Right. That group played really admirably watching, uh, watching that game in real time. To your point, it was the missed assignments, right? It was the the penalties on special teams would happen, but they were backbreakers. of This team, like if you look at Cal, like Kakoa Crawford, are you kidding me? Like what a performance, right? This offense coming off of you know the UCLA game, which we dove into last week, um, clearly put in a tough situation. We didn't know who Cal would be, but from the play action game to taking shots downfield, this is the offense that Cal wanted with Bill Musgrave now as the offensive coordinator. So there were some positives that I'm with you. I mean, this is a game that. Uh, the Bears the Bears could have won and I was surprised that they didn't you know I picked him in the game and now it's it's bounce back time yeah and, and I'm excited I mean this is the perfect week to bounce back have a great focus about you and see if they can win two in a row
1: let me ask you this QB guy um, Chase Garbers is someone you know we know we both were very high on obvious um, um, I've been watching the tape of last year's big game a little bit over the last couple of weeks and of course the Chase Garber's game-winning run is emblazoned into my mind. And I was thinking about that as I was watching their game Saturday in Corvallis, where it just struck me that every time Chase left the pocket, got pushed, got out, whatever reason, every time he went right, every time. And it just, to me, got, okay, there's something just struck me that that was too much. The big game run, he went left. The yeah. big game-winning game, game winning run, he stepped up and then saw the escape route out to his left and ran to the left pylon to score the touchdown. So is there something, when I tell you that, is there something, did you notice it? Is there anything to that?
0: You know, that didn't jump out to me, but I'm going to go back and watch it now that you referenced that. Um, the, the thing that jumped out to me in that game was just the style of offense. Like that, that, that was my biggest question mark for, for the entire team. And, and I think that's going to be a big part of this. Like the, the thing that's cemented in my mind from that game is that, for as, as fun as it was to watch who they were on offense, they had a chance to win the game. And Chase missed the throw to the right. You know, it was go, go ball. I think around like the 15 20, right? Fringe red zone area. They chance. And that's a throw that, um, you know, me, like I'm not hypercritical of anybody, but I do say what I see, which is got to make that throw. You know, and that, that's what I saw in that game. He, he had to make that throw. And I think this game's going to come down, and I've always said it for years now, three throws. Which guy can make three legit throws in the second half, right? That's a third-down conversion. That's game on the line. Can you put the ball in the place it needs to be? And if the receiver can make it, he can make it. So I, I look forward to watching that in this game, because if their offensive linemen are still out, we don't know what the situation is there. Uh, but Thomas Booker is an all-conference defensive tackle right now for me, mm-hmm. you know, only playing two games this season at Stanford. I mean, he, he's got a chance to be a game wrecker. So you know, there's going to be some challenges. There might be some people in his face. It'll be interesting to see if they move Chase, get him out of the pocket, more than maybe traditionally in this offense based on whatever they're going to be up front.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. What was, uh, what was your thought about Oregon State? I was, in, I, I was more impressed with Jebia and their offense than I had been the previous game.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, this was bounce back time for him. I mean, this was not, uh, you know, two weeks ago, it was it was the worst performance of his young career, right? Uh, he just didn't play well. And he admitted it. He talked about it a bunch during the week. Jonathan Smith talked about it. And it was just about ball placement, right? You need help, um, you know, protection, receivers make a place. But at the end of the day, you got to give him a chance. And I thought he did. I thought he did. I, I did not think that he overtried in this game. I thought he let the game come to him. What a creative game plan from Brian Lindgren as well, right? We saw the the, I, I went right back. Talk about flashbacks. I went uh, Mike Williams, Matt liner, Rose bowl on the, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Ty John Lindsay to Tristan Javia touch pass on the old trickeration and the two transfer on each other forever. Mm-hmm. So connected to watch them play that game. And and I, I just saw them having fun. You know, I didn't see a tight team. Uh, you add in Jamar Jefferson granted majority of his runs or his yardage was on two runs. Yeah. Right. But, God, he looks the part, doesn't he? Like I think he just looks like a legit running back in this conference. It's not just a freshman phenom anymore. But his leg drive, his strength, his body lean, his patience in the hole. Yeah, you know, their offensive line did a nice job against you know a defense that we always just give dramatic respect to in Cal. So Jebbia uh, really liked his performance. He's gonna have to. He's gonna have to play. You know, I'd argue the best game of his career in his second time playing the Oregon Ducks. Now. I
1: was just going to say that. So here we go Friday in Corvallis. But yeah, Jebbia had that unexpected start last year. Uh, and now they play an Oregon team. And I, I've got to tell you, Yog, I, I was watching the Oregon-UCLA game. I was shaking my head. UCLA, I thought, I mean, this is me now. Again, I'm throwing it out there. To me, they ran for 267 yards. So they clearly had offensive line play. Their defensive line was winning the battle. Well, Diggie Zua was in the Oregon backfield the entire game. This is UCLA's line play better than Oregon's line play. I, I couldn't I, – I was just jaw-dropping at that.
0: I, I, I co-sign on it at all. I, I think just to hit Oregon first, um, that, that was disappointing to watch. And, and you felt it in Coach Cristobal. Halftime, you felt him in his post-game presser. Um, that is not what he's built this team to be. I, I expected them to pound the rock, not – I think they finished with 88 yards rushing, right? To UCLA's, you said 267. I thought that would have been flipped. Um, but within that, man, this game—if I'm Oregon on the defensive side first—I'm saying Tristan Jeb, you go beat us. Go see if you can throw it against Yamito Lenore, assuming he's healthy. See if you can throw it against the rest of the secondary. I just want to see it because if I am saying what, let, I'm daring you to. Now, it'll be interesting. Noah Sewell being out, who to me was freshman of the year in this conference, and he was becoming kind of the heartbeat of the middle of that defense. right? Hopefully, he's going to be okay. But I look to see Kayvon Thibodeau in this game, right? Mace Funa, that defensive front. They've got to be the part we expect. And then when you flip it, you, the reason they need to run the football, because when they can just run it with some efficiency – to me, I haven't seen a better offensive game plan by any team in the country. Right, Ohio State, comparable. What Sark's doing at, at, at Alabama, same conversation. But what Oregon is doing with Joe Moorhead, holy you-know-what, it is awesome the amount of binds he's putting defenders in with the zone-read game, the run-pass option game, the legs of Tyler Shuck, and then even the downfield passing game. It is real. Like, I would lo- I'd love to call that game because we'd be drawing all day, man. It, was, it is awesome what they're doing. So they got to win the line of scrimmage. Uh and I was surprised that they haven't. So we're gonna find out really who they are in this game because UCLA to your point, they they, they won it. They dominated the line of the scrimmage.
1: You uh you brought up Tyler Shuck last week. And I was really watching this as well. And it goes back to where, where I uh, started this with Chase Garbers. Tyler Shuck to me was very impressive in this game, throwing on the run. Accurate on the run and on the run putting the ball still in the place where the receiver can catch it and yak, which is the biggest challenge, right? When you throw in the run, you can complete a ball, but can you put it in the place where your guy can get an extra seven after the catch? I, that to me stood out more so this week than I had seen the previous weeks.
0: Yeah. Well, I think right now, if you had to vote, granted it's minimal games, but he's playing the best of that position in this conference. Mm -hmm. Right, granted, Jaden Daniels had one game where his receivers, uh, you know, played their age, which was young. Davis Mills hasn't played enough. Um, and Keaton Slova's game-winning drives, but hasn't been as consistent as as you might imagine. I, I think he's a star, dude. We've been talking about it for years, right? When we did their spring game, when he was there, to the games last year, to all of our podcasts, he is a real dude. And I, I just think next year he's going to be, you know, the face of this conference. He got a chance to be that.
1: All right, so. so Washington, Washington State, sadly, doesn't get played. There's some – I've heard talk. Maybe Pat Chun has put it out there. They hope they could play it that final weekend. Maybe that would be wonderful. But given that Washington State didn't play, but Washington did play, and I walked away saying that's the best team I've seen so far. That, and that, to me, Yogi, we talked about this last week with Todd Husak. For a couple of seasons, we were going around the conference saying, okay, the most physical matchup in the Pac-12 was Utah against Stanford. They were the two most physical teams. Right now, to me, I'm watching Washington. That's the physical team. That's the size. That's the offensive line, tight end, defensive front size that is physical. (laughs) That, to me, I mean, they just totally smothered Arizona.
0: They had, to me, at two position groups, the best jump from first game to second game of the season. One was their receivers, right? Five drops last week. You saw Puka You called his first touchdown a year ago. I think it was Hawaii, right? He had the touchdown catch on a go ball. Uh, th- that's the type of player they expect him to be. That was impressive. Um, as well as Kate Otten and the rest of that core. A really nice job, I thought, by them. Kate Otten over 100, tight end, sneaky. Remember it. Biggest theme of this year. It's the biggest theme of this season, the Pac-12, was that position. And then the defensive front. You know, they lost. Remember, two opt-outs. And in this, Joe Tryon and uh, Levi Onzerike. In this conference, opt-outs are a thing. It's around college football, but in this conference, you, you can't have them on the defensive line.
1: Yeah.
0: You just can't. There's not a lot of depth. We know tracking them in signing day, they've done a nice job the last couple of years, and their guys did not play great in the first game, in my opinion, against Oregon State. We, their, their, their second game of the season, they looked apart, the man. I mean, they own the line of scrimmage. Own the line of scrimmage against an offensive line that uh, is, is way better than probably given credit for in Arizona. So I'm with you. I walked out saying, this was the most complete game that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so can we circle the game? oregon Dub, right? And for the conference, for the playoff, if undefeated Washington plays undefeated Oregon in the final, I don't know if you call it regular season, regular season game, that's exactly what this conference needs. Yeah. And then the winner plays an undefeated team from the south or a one-loss team from the south. That's how you get a chance to go to the playoff.
1: Yeah, that's right. I want to I get to the playoff. We'll we'll do that after we finish here the rest of the games maybe. But the thing that – a comp that struck me watching Washington Saturday night um, was another school that's right at the top of the sport again right now and has been pretty consistently good for a decade. Really good offensive line, reload every year. Good tight end play, strong defensive front, physical play. Not the flashiest playmakers on offense but functional. And of course, when right, not giving anything up, don't give the ball up, don't give up field position, et cetera, et cetera. And every year for the past decade, this team has been at the top near the top of the sport. And I think Washington, to me, I'm watching, I'm saying the same thing. And it's Notre Dame. It's Notre Dame in an era of air raid, throw the ball sideways, no linemen, you know, just play basketball on grass as Yogi says, here's a school that is Washington in our league that's going kind of the other way, right? Yeah. And, they've, and they've made this work. And it's what we think Oregon was watching Mario Cristobal last year. It's what we thought Oregon was heading towards. And, of course, their old line is being rebuilt. But I say that about Washington with great compliment because, again, you just have to step back and say, at some point, when you're, in, when you're in the national relevance picture for a decade, you're doing something right. And Notre Dame has done it in a way differently than many other teams are doing it right now.
0: Yeah, and look, this is like a cheesy line, but no teams won a national title playing the air raid, playing basketball on grass. Yeah. It hasn't, you know, I mean, just to be straight up on it. So I'm with you. I like this for UW because it fits their personality, right? This is Jimmy Lake, right? Run the damn ball, right? That's the hat that he wore at the press conference all over the TV Saturday night. This is their defense. I mean, it is a, we've done it when we called their games. You can get the bird's eye view, all 22, as you said earlier, of that secondary. They do what the Legion of Boom did in terms of they invite you to throw it to areas. This is the only place you can throw it, so we know you're going to throw it. And if you complete it, it's because you got the ball in a tiny window. And if, uh, if you checked it down, no problem, we'll it to the ball. And that is what they do. And watching Elijah Molden, God, I hope he's okay, because when I saw him down, my heart broke for a minute and paused. Yeah. Watching this second trap, McDuffie. He's got a chance to be the, the next first-round Byron Murphy type of player coming out of this team. They're not going to waver on that. And then I think with Jimmy, I remember we, we interviewed him in the offseason, and he said, I've had a plan for who I was going to be as a head coach for a long time, and we're going to run the football. And I, I just think of Herm. I think of the NFL coaches that have come from that league say, this is how we're going to win. We're going to be more physical. It's David Shaw to a degree like when, when, they're, when they had it rolling. And I just – I like that. In terms of how they recruit, their offensive line is huge. They are massive humans, bodies on bodies, and they got three backs, three three legit running backs. They could four, you could argue, the true freshman who played well.
1: Yeah. All right, Let, uh, we were talking Arizona there for a second, so let's swing into Saturday's games. Arizona, UCLA. Um, real interesting contrast to me on different games. I'm watching UCLA with a young guy that I didn't know, Chase Griffin. I'd never seen him play. Incredibly impressive. I'm going, wow, this kid. And sadly, uh, UCLA had a decision that, you know, they just – I'm sure Chip Kelly has had nightmares about, which was trying to – I don't know what they were trying to do in the last play of the first half, but whatever it was, it was not a good decision. That was take a knee, get off the field with the lead at halftime with a quarterback play in his first game. Uh, other than that, that kid was terrific. Now I'm flipping to the Arizona side, and, uh, and a guy that we know how much Arizona likes, Grant Cannell. But boy, watching on television, I was getting frustrated in the third quarter for him because he looked awful. His face looked awful. His body language looked awful because they were getting their butts kicked, no question. And, you know, they put a bunch of points up in the fourth quarter. I'm not a big person in believing in that. I'm hopeful that for Grant Cannell, it's a positive, right? That he was able to leave the field there with something to take forward. But, you know, to be the leader of a team, you, know, you were you played, you were in huddles. The guy calling the plays can't be calling the signals, can't be moping and dragging and showing him stuff when, when, the, when it ain't going right, when you are getting your tail kicked.
0: Yeah, I, I remember being told this phrase by uh, a guy named Ivan Lewis, who's now the head strength and conditioning coach for the Seahawks. He was at SC and he called it CBL, championship body language. Yeah. And if we were calling the game, you know, much like the crew that was calling it, like you, you talk about that. And I think for every quarterback, they go through that. They go through that. And this is the first time in his life, this is a guy who has every record in the state of Texas throwing the ball. And they were, I don't know if he even lost in high school. They were amazing. Right. And then last year he was kind of the platoon guy. He was the backup guy, like never had to bear the burden of responsibility of the quarterback coming off the best game in a loss that Arizona's had in a while. um, He's probably feeling pretty good about himself, knowing the test. And you, you dub, I thought overwhelmed that team. They just overwhelmed them with their Absolutely. speed, with their physicality. Um, you know, guys weren't making plays. He didn't make throws. The O-line didn't protect. It, it was a little bit of everything went bad, um, but it wasn't like they played sloppy. It was they just, got, they just got beat. You know, they just got handled by a better team, and that, to me, is really hard. So what do you do if you're Noel Mazzoni, Kevin Sumlin? You do what you just said. You show them 15 plays. You don't even watch the film come and say hey look at the fourth quarter like we did a couple good things when you made that read you made that decision and then you gotta wipe it clean and move on like you just have to because this is a team that I think is not necessarily young Ted but they haven't won in a long time and they haven't won in a long time it's been a while since they've won a game in that locker room so you've got to kind of wipe that clean that slate that palette clean and say we got a real chance this week against UCLA and that's got to be the focus because they do Right. They, they totally do. And, and I would go down that road. And to me, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw a more heavier dose of Gary Brightwell at times. You know how I love this guy at the running back position? And then they'll get Grant going. They should be able to throw the ball, I think, against UCLA.
1: Yeah, and that's what I thought. You know, tell me again, just so this is me watching TV. I thought Washington was brilliant in its defensive approach to Gunnell and Arizona said, we're going to just let the ball be thrown in front of us. So you can throw it in front of us, and you're going to catch it but the first guy there's going to tackle you and you're not going to get anything after the catch. You'll get a four yard comp and that's it. And that's what for three quarters, that's what Washington did. How many first tacklers missed? Like none. I was (laughs) blown away by that. So at the end of three quarters, Gunnell has like a three point something YPA number, which you can't win with.
0: Yeah. And i would be really curious. uh, And I know we're going to get to it later, but Washington to me played the most complete game. Granted, they've only played two. Oregon's played three. USC's played three. Where are they going to be ranked? Because if you're really doing your work, you're saying that's a really good team. Like line that team up against Georgia all day long. Line them up against some of these other teams that are ranked. Well, I'm telling you, man. Like the one thing that college football has done for us this year with all these games being postponed and the staggered start is we get to see teams for who they are. There's three teams that have been impressive. You know, maybe four with Notre Dame, but like really, you're like a hair above everybody else, everybody else. Like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about all these other amazing programs and teams. Like you, Dub did in one game, if that's all you had to watch, yeah. I think you have to give it the credit. So I'll be curious to see how that nets out.
1: Yeah. And so, uh, all right, let's go to the Coliseum. I love this. And Yogi knows me well enough. I love this pack 12 in the sunshine. And if we ever <laughs> are going to get this thing right in this conference, that's what we're going to start selling is pack 12 in the sunshine. Colorado and USC, you know, it's going to be the best game of the weekend with national focus on it, right? How real is Colorado? You know, USC has is 3-0. Good for them. They've got the eyes of the nation on them because you you know that as long as USC has a zero in the loss column, the CFP people are going to be looking at it, right?
0: Amen. Yep. I, I think for this one, uh, I, I have to go way back in memory lane. I called, I believe, what was the first year that called. USC in the Pac-12. I was on the sideline. And it was the year where Lane Kiffin decided to, like, screw with the holder. It was Cody Kessler, but it wasn't Cody Kessler. I remember watching that game, and he he got in trouble for it because he didn't report, like, who the players were when they came in. Uh, So I have this nostalgia for this game, and SC ended up winning a tight one. But you can look at this game, and there's a lot, like Kate Apsey... I remember we were calling a game in Arizona State. We watched that game on TV at a bar years ago. Colorado fans will remember it. Chance to be at SC on a Friday. They don't. I mean, this has been a fun back and forth. And there is a rivalry there because so many kids come out of L.A. and go to Boulder just as students. So you feel that when this game is being played. Normally, the Collie would have a huge section for Colorado because of the alums living in Los Angeles that are Buffaloes. So, So with that being said, I'm really excited for this game because Colorado has proven to be one of the better coach teams in this conference, right? Oh, by the way, they also have some talent, right? Mustafa Johnson's played a heck of a season so far. Nate Landman has twice. been all over the field. Uh, and then you add in offensively receiving core, you could argue they're second best receiving core in the conference, right? They, they would say they might be one running back. Uh, Jarek Broussard came out of nowhere, right? Their best backs we haven't even seen really this year, at least that we thought they'd be in the season. And they utilize the tight end. I got to go back to that theme of tight end. So I, I look forward to this game of how does SC defend a QB run game? You know, they've always had trouble. Most teams do, as well as a guy that can deal and the team that wants to run the football. SC's coming off their most complete defensive effort in years, in my opinion, in years against Utah. Granted, Utah, three freshman alignment, new backs, new quarterbacks, injury at quarterback but they played complete complimentary football on that side of the ball. So I, I look forward to this one. I, I think it's going to be a heck of a competitive ball game.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I, I hope so too. I'm, I was again, very impressed by another line play matchup, which is going to mark from this game into our Sunday game. USC's line play against Utah, yeah. both sides. Again, USC, got the better of Utah. When was the last time we thought we'd say that? Which was part of the reason why it was an easy win for USC. And then, of course, we get into the obvious question is, I don't know how the heck to judge Utah. Everything that that program has been through, that, they, Yogi, I, I, I was sitting here with my gorgeous bride watching this. I'm going, they're wearing the uniforms, and I know that's the field, but those aren't Utah football players. I don't know what's going on there, but that's not the Utah team that we've been accustomed to seeing uh, in the, in the, since they joined the pack, we just know that.
0: Yeah. Well, one more note on, uh, Colorado before we go to Utah is that you look at all the teams that have been uh, impacted by COVID because of, you know, their roster, right? So Utah had an outbreak, Colorado didn't have an outbreak, right? So Colorado has been able to practice. It's been a bye week heading into USC. It wasn't like Utah, which, yeah, they practiced, but they practiced with a bunch of uh, walk-ons, third stringers, half the roster, trying to kind of figure it out. So I think that's why we saw Utah play as poorly as we did, much like we've seen some other teams coming off of COVID-19 not play at the efficiency level that we're accustomed to seeing. So I look forward to Colorado. They they should be sharp. They should not be uh, like we've seen, whether it was UW in their first game of the season or other teams that have come off the the COVID thing um, and had to play and didn't look good, like Cal, for instance. Mm -hmm. So I I expect it. And then the one thing for USC fans to make sure they know, every team they played has played their first game of the season. So they didn't know anything about their first three opponents. And then a team with a bye. So people will light up SC if they don't roll in this game. But I think you need to give a little bit more credit to USC in that regard of like that challenge for a staff and the benefit it's been for the opponent to a certain degree to not be scouted. Uh, and I, I just think that's a, that's a valid point as, as we move on to the next game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's and, and USC at least established some run. I thought that was a, yeah. obviously a positive for them against, against Utah. Um, so Utah ASU and again, ASU we have one, we have small, we have small data points for both teams, quite honestly, you know, we don't know what the, what the health situation will be for Arizona State. We understand they are being officially released from their quarantine on Saturday, which is why the game is being played Sunday. Uh, Utah looks like, and we're talking on Monday, so it's hard to project fully, but it looks like Jake Bentley is now, is now their quarterback. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I'm so, I'm, it's still, it's 48 hours later, yogis we're talking. I'm just not sure what to make of the Utah game at all. It was just so, it was just so different.
0: I'm with you. Um, it was uh, – you're just kind of waiting as you watch it. Like, okay, here, here they come. You know, this is going to be the drive. We'll come out in the third quarter, and we'll see what we expect. And you never saw a team I thought offensively look very comfortable. Right, Samson Okua made a couple plays. I liked the freshman running back a couple plays. But I think they're so inexperienced, uh, even on the offensive line, more inexperienced than we probably anticipated coming into the season. That their turnovers – to me it, it, it felt like it, it took the wind out a lot of their sails. Right. And when you don't have the crowd, you don't have the must, you don't have anything to kind of rally up. It's, it's just a challenge. And they had so much, what, they finished with five turnovers, I think. Yes. You know, yeah. it, it's just one of those where you're like, this is, you know, this, I thought earlier when you were describing UW. I thought you were about to say this is Utah, right. <laughs> Physical, don't turn the ball over, have an identity. And, and that's just, they, they don't win like that. You know, they, they, they don't have the, the horsepower. And then you add in the QB thing, which, you know, it's, sure Jake Bentley prepared to be the starter, but I'm sure not being named the starter also took some wind out of his sail to mm-hmm. a degree. And, yeah, I, I, I was bummed because you're right. We don't, we don't know who they are. We might not know who they are until the final week of the season. Yeah. But that's just going to kind of be what, what it is. And,
1: yeah, I mean, how many games uh, – exactly. How many games do they get to play? Um, we should also reference that uh, because he's been with us, our intern slash producer, Britton Covey. Oh, I was anxiously looking for him out there uh, he didn't play he's had a little hamstring problem that apparently crept back up in the latter part of last week but that was a you know that's another weapon when Utah's trying to figure out which running back I mean I heard them at one point say running back by committee we haven't seen that in Utah we're used to them having a stud guy and a second or third to come in there but basically to have a, a lead dog back they didn't have that um, so to not have Britain to be able to to help as an offensive weapon had to hurt them
0: yeah and, and they never flipped the field you know like he he's always been so talented as a return specialist you know so i think for them you know you, you're just so accustomed to seeing them play just more complementary and complete football and i think it's fair to say well cal did not look impressive in their first game washington did not look impressive in their first game um, you know teams that have had their games postponed uh, I, I think there's something where it's just a it's just such a challenge you know, to practice, to compete, especially at the level you're ready for. And then all of a sudden you're in a game and, oh, by the way, they're playing USC. I, I, I just think it, it was really hard. So I look forward to seeing them this week. And now we, we have Arizona state presumptuously. They've been hit hard by COVID, right? I don't have all the details. Like we'll get more of them as we get closer to the game, but they haven't been practicing. It's not as though like it just wiped out a position group. I mean, this is like uh, the, a majority of the team, coaches, so what, what are we going to see? You know, I don't know. I mean, we saw week one a team that probably has played the best complete game of football prior to USC Utah at anybody in the South. Merlin Robertson, all-conference player. He looked the part. Look at the safeties, the DBs, the defensive front, Jermaine Lole, um, you know, uh There's a lot of defensive linemen that, um, that, that played well on the offensive front. Best running back depth, you could argue, in the South. Right. Felton is probably the lead horse right now in the South. And we didn't
1: mention yeah. his name. Felton was, was outstanding Saturday.
0: Yeah. I voted for him for offensive player of the week. I don't know if he, he got it based on the time of this podcast, but you know, I, I just think the depth of those two backs, right. We're talking about Rashad white one time commit to UCLA JC transfer. Awesome. And chip Trainum, you know, who turned down Ohio state Penn state, all the blue bloods in the big 10 to come out and play for her Edwards. He's going to be the future. He reminded me of Lendale White, just the type of thumper that he is at that position. Yeah. So I, I can't wait to talk about those guys. And then the thing I'm probably anticipating the most is the young freshman receivers, right? They did not play well against USC. A lot of drops, a lot of big names. Johnny Wilson, six foot five, former Oregon commit. Curtis Conway coached him up. I'm sure Curtis has gotten him right mentally over the last couple of weeks, let alone that staff. So I, I, it's probably the game I'm anticipating the most because Utah did not play the up to their standard at all and asu hasn't played in a long time and for all intents and purposes should be undefeated in a top 25 team so i i I hope we get the game i'm not gonna get my hopes up too high ted but man i hope it happens
1: i know all right so let's step back now Yog, and and we, we brushed on this last week the college football as as disjointed and abbreviated as this season is going to be the heisman trophy is still going to be given out it won't apparently our voting is going to take place in the same normal window, but the award won't be given out. ESPN will decide that. Apparently after the first of the year, we're still going to have the playoff. They're not moving it. From what we hear, they're not moving it. So tell me where you think the PAC, in your view, sits in the CFP world.
0: Yeah, well, I think they're they're in the dialogue. You know, I thought what uh, – I saw Kirk Herbstreit say week one of PAC-12 play. Him and uh, David Pollack got an argument, and he said – how many games do you need to see if a team's playoff-worthy? Right? How many do you need to see about Ohio State or Alabama? Do you need 11 games? Do you need eight games? Right? So I think, I think there's something there that I lean on. Two is, and I said this on the Pac-12 Networks over the weekend, is that I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm over the, uh, the narrative dialogue. What's the narrative of the conference, the narrative of this team? I'm like, let's just watch the games. These 13 individuals, highly respected, their job is to watch and say, Okay is Oregon, USC, UW, Colorado, those would be the four right now that are in contention because they're undefeated, do they look like a team that could play and compete in the playoff? And if we have a team that's undefeated and has played, to me, six or seven games, and by the way, Ohio State has played one more game than Oregon right now. It's not like they have gotten all their games in, right? So you can't make the game argument. So that's where, that's where my head's at right now. And I think that the way the season is tracking, especially with the, the legit storylines for each team, Oregon, youngest team in the country, right? They didn't return one start on the offensive line. Let's see who they are when they play Washington and then possibly an SC or Colorado in the South if we we're going to presume that. Same thing for SC. Let's, let's find out who they are on the defensive side over the course of the next couple of weeks and how do they do in a Pac-12 title game? Uh, because right now, SC, you look at their next three games, you'd assume they'd win them. Yeah. Right. You got Colorado this weekend um, and then they obviously finished UCLA, Washington Washington State, which hopefully that game happens. Yeah, exactly. So um, I I think uh, I think firmly in the conversation, the way that it works, just to kind of take you inside, is that um, the the phone call that exists between the two representatives of of the Pac-12 conference. You have a call about every 10 days and you present the teams you think should be considered for the top or for the CFP and then the teams you think should be considered for the top 25. And I think that's important to see in the first initial rankings. Obviously, the undefeated team should be in this. But is Arizona State going to be in this if they win over the weekend if they play a game? The more teams, I think, that are in the top 25 is UCLA, if they win this weekend, right, after what they did against, um, you know, Oregon. Are, are, they, are they considered, right, by the end of the season? Because I think that is uh, something – I know that is something that the committee looks at is like quality wins. Did you beat a ranked team? So that's going to be something I think we'll track over the next couple of weeks. Like, can the conference get more teams, even if it's 20 through 25 in, versus right now you look at the AP, right? Well, there's only two teams, I believe, from this conference that are ranked, which I, I don't think is fair. I think you'd take Washington over a lot of teams ranked in the top 15. So I think that's something we just got to sit and be patient about.
1: And that gets back to to me, it gets back to our issue that we get into every year about perception and Pac-12 perception. And, for example, Washington – has played two games their first game. You know, the Pac-12 after dark doesn't register. Nobody across the country sees it. Nobody cares. So that game, thankfully, their win Saturday against Arizona was a prime time East Coast game. That's great. And because Washington looked really good doing that. This weekend, Friday and Saturday, you know, the four Pac-12 games are all on top tier networks and all in good time zones so that people across the country can see. It's not 1 a.m. in the East, and, you know, a team can do great. And unless – I think USC and Oregon are exempt from my point. I think their names and their brands are strong enough that they defy this. But Washington doesn't right now. They need people to see them. Uh, and they don't have – you know, they don't have a guy like last year with Eason that people were talking about. Maybe he'll be in the Heisman race. They don't have that kind of guy this year. So I, I that's where I think these exposures and the games that can be played in – windows where they get seen in the east coast like the 9 a.m kick you can tell i like that <laughs> where yes. people see them and talk about it. i think that helps that helps negate some of the perception deficiency the pac-12
0: fights i'm with you it, it'll be fun it's noon on monday of thanksgiving week i hope by noon on tuesday uw has a game you know they want to play you know mm-hmm. do, do they find an opponent i I hope they do. And even if that changes and it's Utah by Thursday, but at least so they don't, uh, they're not idle this week. Cause I think it's a fair point, uh, especially a team that looked, that has looked as good as they have looked, at least through the last six quarters of play that they've had. Um, okay, Ted, I got two things for you before we bounce here. Uh, I wanna know one thing on the football field, impactful football, that you're really thankful for, something you saw that lit you up. And then on the personal front, what you're thankful for. And I'll do the same.
1: Huh, something on the football field. Um, I mean, obviously, the most – I'm just – I'm thankful for health. I mean, that's the most important thing, my gosh, that that I don't think we've had – I can't think of any significant – and am I blanking here on any – significant injury in-game that we've seen so far? I think the
0: most dramatic was like Noah Sewell, but hopefully he's okay. Yeah,
1: Noah Sewell, that's right, this past Saturday. So hopefully you're right. You know, I'm thinking of something like Joe Burrow in the NFL – on yeah. Sunday, where everybody, you know, everybody in football is tweeting now. You know, that's that, that just registers to everybody. We haven't seen, um, we haven't seen anything like that. Um, thankful, my gosh, thankful like you are in life. I mean, added a third healthy grandchild this year, and in pandemic with a lot of downtime, that's been a huge part of our life is being with our grandkids and having a, a bond that's been established that you know you hope takes you to the finish line. And there's no, there's no professional measure there's no professional um, moment that can match that so and i know you've gone through the same thing this year my friend
0: family yes totally that is uh, on the personal front all day long getting this time with these kids has been just a joy right just smiles on your face left and right so i'm looking forward to doing that uh the rest of this week as we gear up for calling our game i think on the football front you know i've been bouncing this what's this one around i i think what i'm really thankful for is uh, players who have gotten the opportunity to elevate and compete. Like I look at Chase Griffin. I've known this kid since he was 11 years old. 11. He was a ball boy at the Elite 11. And this little cute kid that you're like, yeah, come hang out with us. And he still has his notes. And he'd be taking notes from our psychologist, Dr. Michael Gervais, who's with the Seahawks. He'd be asking better questions than the, than the seniors. Right? And just to watch him progress and get a chance, not hit the portal, not leave, and compete. Right? I, look, I look all across this conference with op doubts with players being injured with everything that's going on just watching guys take advantage of their chance that to me, like i look at brew mccoy right this is a guy who transferred twice before he even stepped on the field and last year was sick the whole year like i'm i'm thankful to watch those guys just take advantage of of the opportunity to be student athletes like I, that that to me i mean even like britain like look at him what he's doing with us taking full advantage of you know the connections that playing in this conference can afford you and he's you know he's there's going to be star or whatever he does in his life. So I think that's something that that's resonated to me reflecting a little bit.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's great to hear. And it's, that's a nice, uh nice story about chase Griffin. That's the personal hook you have through elite 11 with so many of these young QBs. You're the whisperer, my friend. <laughs>
0: well, I don't know, but I, I look forward to, uh, you know, seeing you and whispering in commercial breaks. Hopefully this weekend, <laughs> if we have that opportunity, brother. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's the other, exactly, and that's the thing. look, it's, I know it's frustrating to everybody. You hear a lot of negativity out there about why is this even happening. I, there's so much emotion going on. Um, you know, the CDC is telling people not to travel Thanksgiving weekend. Okay, how realistic is that? Meanwhile, the airlines are adding flights because they know more people are going to fly. I mean, literally, it's, the same, it's happening at the same time. And that, to me, is another little small picture of the insanity that we're all living through right now. So uh, I go back where we started this a few weeks ago. Yogi, you said it perfectly. Just be thankful for every game that does get played. Because we know some of them aren't going to get played. We get that. When we do have a game and it's safe and it's thankfully people get out without injury, that's what we're thankful for.
0: Amen, brother. All right. Well, make sure uh, you follow and subscribe and share this podcast. If there's one thing you do when games kick off on Fridays, hopefully kick back with your family, going for a run, running off that turkey, whatever you're doing, put on Ted and I in between your ears. And hopefully Sunday, you'll be able to see us a little bit, Ted. That would be an absolute blast. So happy Thanksgiving for Ted Robinson and our producer, Britton Covey. I'm Yogi Roth. This is Ted Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. Stay safe, mask up, and enjoy some Pac-12 football.
1: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform.